0: Well, hi guys and welcome to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. My name is Lena Ebujamra and I'm your host. I am so glad you're back. Uh, as you know, every week I interview someone and we talk about hope because we believe in hope. We love hope and we believe that hope changes things. Uh, so I tend to interview people who are also people of hope and uh, I guess that's why we call, we're called the Hope Podcast. Today's interview is gonna be fun because when I think of Susie Larson, I think of Sunshine. And if you don't know who she is, let me fill you in a little bit. And uh, uh, I think you're gonna get a glimpse of who she is after our conversation here today. Susie is a talk show host, national speaker, author of 15 books and many, many articles. She just uh, released a book called Fully Alive and was telling me how her next manuscript is already out. And uh, uh, the just the capacity that God has given her is incredible. For eight years, she has hosted her own daily live talk show called Live the Promise with Susie Larson. Uh, based out of Minneapolis. I've been on that show a couple of times and have loved my time with her. She now hosts a daily talk show called Middays with Susie Larson. So if you're listening from the Minneapolis area you and the greater area, or if you listen by podcast, you probably are very familiar with Susie and um, the contagious Christianity that she uh, shares with others. She reaches a half million people weekly through her blessings on Facebook. She has been uh, on radio before. Many of you know that um, that is my family now. And uh, she is madly, this is her quote, madly in love with her husband of over 30 years, which is a pretty awesome credential in our day and age. She's got three grown sons, beautiful daughters-in-law, a precious grandson, and her pit bull Memphis. Uh, I want to just uh, finish her intro with this sentence that I found on her website that I think uh, really summarizes Susie's heart. Her passion is to see women everywhere awakened to the value of their soul, the depth of God's love, and the height of their calling in Christ Jesus. And I think that sums up who you are.
1: Susie, how are you today? Great, Lena. So good to be with you and fun to be on the other side of the mic. Right. I know. This is the best part of this. And so uh, we got a lot to learn
0: about you. And so t- I-, I-, I think, you know, I want to talk to you about your new book in a minute, but really backing up a little bit Um I want to get to know Susie Larson more. One of my goals with setting up the interviews is, is to meet old friends, but also to get to know new ones. And I've sort of, I've read your bio, I've met you through the context of the radio, but who is Susie Larson?
1: And let's start with general descriptions. Describe yourself in three words. Oh my goodness. In three words, uh, passionate, purposeful, and loved. Okay, this is really good because you've written your books. sort of um, aim at that. And so let's
0: uh, let's do what I do with guests all the time. I I always uh, tend to go back to the beginning and uh, I always want to hear about how you got to to meet Jesus Christ and how he became the central part of your life.
1: Well, I was raised in a large family. I was raised in a Catholic family where I understood that God was real, but I really didn't know that Jesus was accessible just in our particular Context, that's just the reality. I knew somehow God was real, and there's times I felt His presence. Um, I had, as I said, a big family, six other siblings, seven of us kids total. And there was a season of life um, when I was about nine years old, I experienced trauma at nine and at 10 at the hands of teenage boys. Mm-hmm. At nine years old, I was pinned down by some boys in our neighborhood um, and sexually assaulted by them. And at 10 years old, I was walking home from school. And a different group of boys who were hiding out in the dugout jumped me, knocked me down, and, and beat me to a pulp. And uh, I was just about four feet tall. Was just a little thing. And they knocked me down. And knowing in my adult mind now when I look back to that story, they had to have been high on something because they had this crazed look in their eye. And they were laughing wildly. And, they, you know, for all these guys to gang up on this little girl, I mean, they are kicking me mm. in the stomach, in the face, pulling fistfuls of hair out and laughing as they did it. And, of course, that was so – so traumatic, mm-hmm. and um, when they finished with me, they pushed off me, kind of gave me one last shove and kick, and left. And I got up with snarled hair and a fat lip and scratched face and bruised ribs. And I heard in my ear, from the enemy of my soul, "I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me." And I didn't know the devil was real until that mm-hmm. moment. Until I walked away, going, "God's real and the devil's real." And I often tell people that the devil sees your your potential long before you ever do. And if you just want to know what part of your call looks like, look, go to your earliest years and look at that first assault on your identity, and you'll get a sense of his threat to you is very connected to your threat to him, you know? And uh, so I became a very insecure girl. I, I would say an actual spirit of fear took up residence in my soul. And I, it's something I've had to contend with my whole adult life. I'm nowhere near where I used to be, but mm-hmm. fear drove me in a significant way for many years. And once I got into like middle school, I just got very busy. I had different, you know, God-given gifts where I was athletic and I could sing. And so I basically got involved in all these ways in school. And my mind's eye was to kind of uh, make up for the lost cause that I believe myself to be. And again, I obviously say, you know, when you don't know who you are, you'll misuse your time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And that's what I was doing. You know, I would... Mm-hmm. When you know who you are you can use your gifts to contribute to life and society and help people but if you don't you'll misuse those gifts to try to dig yourself out of a hole that you're not in and that's what i was doing and um i was always quote unquote too busy for boyfriends because i didn't trust guys you know and um so i was just super self-protective in that way and i remember one night being in eighth grade being involved invited to a, a sleepover with a bunch of girlfriends And I was super close to my mom. I loved her so much. And I felt like I had this deep, dark secret, but I really didn't even know what it was. I didn't didn't even fully, I mean, they all knew I was beat up because I came home beat up, but my mom or nobody knew about the sexual trauma. And I didn't really know whose fault that was. And Mm. I felt like I had this deep, dark thing in my soul. And I really didn't even, I thought if I ever shared it, I didn't know how it would land and if it would ruin our relationship, you know? So it was just, it was like a cancer in my soul. And I was ready to walk out the door to the sleepover. And my mom, in a really teasing way, her in eighth grade, she's like, "Now, honey, don't sneak out and meet boys tonight." And she was just bantering. And I stopped in my tracks, and I almost turned around to say, "Let me tell you why that's the last thing I would ever do." And I stopped, and I almost did, but I thought, "I have, I have too much to lose." She loves me. I, I wow. you know, I just, and so I, I, I just said, I, "I won't," you know. And I went to this sleepover. And we had fun and did what girls do. We ate Doritos and danced to the beach boys. That shows you how old I am. And, and we did what <laughs> sleepover girls do. And, we, and anyway, it was about 10 p.m., I would say. All of a sudden, these girls decide to sneak out and meet boys. And I thought I was going to be physically sick. I just, oh. there's no way I was going to put myself in that position. And so I joked that I stayed back with the two girls who smoked because I thought that was the better option. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't want to talk to me either. They were sitting in their sleeping bags and they had gone to the local Catholic school. That was their school education. And they were mocking what the nun had, the nun apparently had been teaching out of the book of Revelation that day. And so they were mocking what they had heard. And they, they were like, oh, as if the end of the world's going to happen. And as if there's going to be these holes that open up in the earth and smoke's going to billow out. And they were making fun of it. But I had never, ever heard anything like that before. Wow. So I went out on the picnic table and looked up in the stars all by myself. And I uh, just said, God, I know you're real, but if there's more to you than what I know, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. Wow! Uh, I, I said, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I think it's kind of boring, but if you can snaz it up for me, we got a deal. I mean, you were really great. It was just pathetic, really, when I think of That's that. Term, but I just love that Jesus would take me on yeah. such terms.
0: Yeah.
1: In, in our local Catholic church, I brought my Bible to church and was confronted. Uh, that you, we weren't allowed to do that. It was left for interpretation of the priest. And I know that's not the case in every yeah. Catholic, but it was in our case. So, and I'm such a rule follower, but I had to know this Jesus. And so I read the Bible under my bed sheet with the flashlight. Wow. I fell in love with Jesus. I bet you I asked him in my heart a thousand times mm. and it would take me years, Lena, to know. I knew I was saved. But it would take me years into my young adulthood as a wife and mom to learn that I was actually loved. Mm. And I really believe many, many Christians are living today who know they're saved, but they still don't know that they're loved. And that um, that's kind of some of my backstory. There's more, but uh, I'll give, a, did you, give you a chance. Well, did you now. ever
0: did you ever tell your mom then what happened to you or was that something that came out as an adult?
1: Yeah, that came out when I was about 18, 19 years old. So when it just things started to surface for me and I saw a counselor and uh, started to process what happened. And uh, what's really amazing is I think I was about ninth or 10th grade. I found out about a Bible study in the next community. And so I'm such a rebel. I went to the Bible study and I told my parents I was going to the library. So I lied about my first Bible study. (laughs) I would literally come home glowing. And my mom would be like, how is the library? I'm like. Mom, this whole family needs it's the hilarious. library. <laughs> Everybody needs the library. But I would sit at the floor and listen to this guy teach God's word. And it was just magnificent to me. And I was still a shame bucket, though, because I had so much stuff in my soul. And he loaned me a, a cassette tape of Howie Hendricks, a sermon. Oh. And he said he needed it back by Wednesday or something like that. Now, what I didn't know, because there were other kids around me that were in this Bible study. They all looked very rough. And here I am in like my letter jacket. I, You know, I look like Miss, I did, I did not fit. And he never asked why I was there. I didn't know that he had a ministry to troubled youth. Mm-hmm. I just heard about the study. And, but anyway, um, he asked to get the cassette tape back by Wednesday. Well, we had seven kids and we all shared my mom's car when my, my dad had his own car. And I couldn't get the car to get it back. And this was my lifeline was I didn't want to be rejected by him. And I went two days later. I handed him the cassette tape, but I could not even look at him because I had so much shame for being two days late. And he, in his wisdom, said, come into my office. I need to talk with you. I sat down and I couldn't even look at him. And he said, who put their hands on you? Oh, wow. And this was the first conversation. I mean, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, yes, you do. And I seriously didn't because I had stuffed it so deep. And he says, "Let me put this clear." And he without a little graphic, he said, "Somebody put their hands on you in a way they shouldn't. You're blaming yourself." Wow. And he said, "That's going to kill you." And he said, "Let's talk about it." And I started to guttural sob and started to shake. And he said, "You go home, and you write every detail of what happened." Wow. And if it doesn't make you want to throw up, you're not being honest enough with me. We're going to work this out, and we're going to get this out of you. And that is where the unearthing kind of came and healing started to begin.
0: Susie, why do you think there aren't more Christians doing what that man did that day? Which is to be stress. in tune with the Holy Spirit so that you recognize those things and with boldness address them. Like I think most people Christians would, even if they thought there was a problem, would sort of politely like, You okay, no, fine, yes, and move on. Like why are we afraid to
1: A, listen to God that intently and B, act on it? Great question. I may maybe we're afraid of the mess. But I feel like God wants us to all operate in a prophetic way, that way, to be so in tune. You know, and you're asking that question, Lena, I'm all of a sudden thinking about Hannah when she ran to the temple to cry out to the Lord. Yeah. And she's crying out, and Eli accuses her of being drunk. He's the high priest and he saw out a step with a spirit. <laughs> and then I start to think more about that story. He was seeing through his own pain filter because his own kids were his sons were getting drunk in the right. temple. And so this is what happens if you don't deal with your stuff. You see other people through your stuff and your own pain filter. And one of the reasons I wrote Fully Alive is because I think many, many Christians, even at high levels, have not gone through the process of inner healing. And that keeps us from being attuned enough to be in step, like you're saying, to help others get healed because we're not healed. You know what I'm saying? We're so yeah. living in reaction to our stuff. Yeah. And I think that we're what you yeah, yeah. said is true is that we're afraid of the mess. I think I think
0: sometimes we don't know the answer. Like we don't know how to fix the problem. We think we're supposed to fix the problem. And like, what do you do then if an 18 year old says, oh yeah, in fact, when I was six, or when I was eight, this happened to me. Like, and you're like, oh, well, you know, like we're stumped, but we're not supposed to be stumped in Christ in, as Christians. I mean, we're supposed to have more. Um, how, do you, how does a Christian become mature enough, strong enough, fully alive enough? What have you found to be the road to get there?
1: Inner healing. (laughs) I just believe that's so strong. What what
0: does that mean?
1: Well, I, I think that we all have trauma i mean you're the doctor so you can speak to this but the little bit i know as a lay person is there's two types of trauma things that have happened to you that shouldn't have happened things that didn't happen for you that should have happened and it really goes to how it lands on you and i think sometimes because it's not whatever happened to you is not as bad as whatever happened to so-and-so you stuff it right but what i've learned is i've studied and i've interviewed doctors and i'm very interested in brain science and i've covered this extensively on my show and what the premise of the book fully alive is is what happens in your soul happens in your cells. So it basically pushes out into your physiology and it gets your attention another way. God so wants to bring healing and he can zap us. But I think so many of us have an infrastructure of sickness or dysfunction that if he healed us and zapped us in the moment, we would go back to old ways of thought and processes and patterns and behavior. So most of us, if not many of us, he he invites us on a healing process. And I say that how you pay attention is when you get stirred up, what do you do with it? Do you stuff it and numb out because you don't want to pay attention to the self life that's you know surfacing, or do you point to somebody else's flaws? Or do you say, you know what God is allowing something to surface here. I'm going to go after this thing because I really believe when something surfaces in your self life that you don't want to look at because you're triggered or stirred up, it's like God is saying, I, here's a new level um, that I want to take you to, a new level of freedom that I want to bring you to. And I think we're so afraid and maybe even prideful, like we don't want to admit we have a need, but we have needs. And I think when we humble ourselves and let God go to those places and uproot the lies and put truth there, that's when we become a force to reckon with. And maybe this is a tangent, Lena, but one of the great griefs of my heart is the incivility I see amongst Christians on social media and the way people are reacting to each other. I feel like those are evidences of unhealed hearts. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you put, that much energy into your own soul healing you would be able to answer with graciousness and humility you would be able to love and pray for people who are defying what you believe in but i just think the fact that we're going there with a the culture and the public shows how unhealed our souls really are
0: do you, do you think this sort of healing requires a counselor a director a pastor or is it something between you and god
1: i think it depends on the depths of what you need but i know many And I'm including myself here, but many great leaders who would say they wouldn't have they wouldn't be where they are if not for the help of a counselor or a spiritual director or a mentor. We can't go it alone. And I just wonder if we're just uh, too afraid to go after those things since we try to do it in isolation. Most times you've got to do it in community, at least with a couple of safe people and 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 again, I, I don't mean to refer to this book fully live, but I'm just no, saying I w- what we want you to. I mean, I I and I think mean, I think more so. I mean,
0: what do you? How did do, how does a person find these connections if they're not connected? Because we're living in an unbelievably disconnected era. So
1: yeah, we've got to be part of communities. We've got to be, pl- you know, we're we're not connected like we think we are because we're so connected on social media. But you need face to face connections. But lean into that
0: a little. I I, I want to press it a bit because. You know, just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a a woman who has been walking with the Lord for years. And I said to her, where are you going to church now? And she said, nowhere. And she had been through a church hurt a few years ago. And four or five years later, she's still not found a home. And she spends time with the Lord every day. She's asking him to help her find a place. She's visited a multitude of churches. Not that uh, healing is going to come through attending a local church, but you got to start with community somewhere. And that example of that person who just sort of falls off the wayside and year becomes two becomes 10. How, I mean, how do you rest, I mean, how do you, I feel like in our, in our culture right now, that is such a big issue in that people just don't trust the church. And so they stop going. So how do you get to this place of healing when you don't have community?
1: You know, that is an a excellent example, Lena. And I know people in the same exact scenario and, uh, Watch church online. They just and they're too afraid to go back in the water, or they can't find a community that they can break into. Um, I know people are really advocating for house churches these days. You know, kind Mm -hmm. of a return to the Book of Acts. Um, I will say I'm a fan of Dr. Jim Wilder's stuff. He and formed with Dallas Willard, his Dallas Willard's Mm -hmm. wife, and Dr. Wilder and a couple others formed this Emmanuel prayer process. And the counselor that I saw does this, and it really is about. I think if you look up his stuff, he's got licensed counselors all over the country mm-hmm. you find someone who will go there with you basically what they do is it's a lot of uh, theology christian you know biblical theology mixed with neuroscience of how your brain is wired and they help you get to these memories in the presence of Jesus and find what he has to say and how he leads you to a place of truth and untangle so much of what happened to you but i i think there are some amazing counselors if you don't feel like i wouldn't postpone healing till you find a body i would say keep pursuing and find a church because you're called to serve and be somewhere, mm-hmm. but I would find a counselor and start going through some of your story because anybody who's done this and gets well, to the other well, side. Well, much
0: trauma has happened in churches and, and, and yeah. I, you know, and I think there's so much hurt at the hand of, of Christians and church that I think it becomes an obstacle because you're trying to find healing in an environment that hurts. And so you might That's need right. to step out of that. Well, one thing you said earlier earlier, um, about feeling loved by God. You know, so many Christians don't feel loved by God. I agree with you. I think I think that's at the heart of a lot of our dysfunction as Christians, followers of Jesus. Why do you think that is? Why can't we, why do we have a disconnect between what happened at the cross and between daily feeling
1: God's love in our life? Boy, another great question. I, I think we have an aversion to grace. I think it's just mm-hmm. too good to be true. And we want so much to earn our way, even when we don't want to earn our way. And, uh, you know, we we put so much more weight on how high we can jump than we do on the fact that he stooped down. And for me, Lena, I'll tell you how it came for me. Um, I remember as a young mom, and what happened if you, a little bit later in the story is, you know, during one of my pregnancies, I was bit by the deer tick unknowingly and contracted Lyme disease. And I went a year undiagnosed, and so it ravaged my health. And in my ear, again, was that enemy, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. God will never stop me. And sure felt true to me because... I never saw the tick, but he jumped Mm -hmm. on and ravaged my life and jumped back off again. But anyway, here I am, a young mom, so earnest and passionate in my pursuit of God, but Lyme disease wiped out my short-term memory. I had massive neurological symptoms, joint pain. I'm a fitness person and I'm crawling through my days. I could only take one shower a week for a long Mm -hmm. stretch because it took so much energy. I had three little boys. And we are dying financially because of all of my medical debt. Oh, and I felt like God had lost my address. And I remember crying out to him going, I don't get it. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm trying to memorize scripture with no short-term memory. I'm interceding. I'm reading your word. And I feel like I don't have any victory. Where, where's the victory that I'm reading? There's such a disconnect between what you say here in the word and what I'm experiencing. What am I missing? And it was one of those times the Lord broke his silence with me. With such clarity, it changed my life forever. He said, Susie, yeah, I get that you love me, but you don't seem to get that I love you. Oh, so until I tell you differently. Every time you want to say that you love me, I want you to turn it around and say, you love me, Lord. Mm-hmm. And every time you want to tell me that you love me, instead, just turn it around and say, you love me, Lord. He said, say it now. So I said, you love me, Lord. He said, say it again. You love me, Lord. When I yell at my kids and feel bad about it, I hear the whisper, say it. And I'm like, you love me, here, Lord. You love mm-hmm. me even here. And every turn of life, if I did well or fell down, say it. That's what I would hear in my ear. You love me, Lord. And I started to think, is this some kind of self-actualization, you know, right. kind of self thing? So I went into scripture, and it's so supported. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. It's not that we loved God, it's but that he loved us. Psalm 1835 says, he stooped down to make us great. And when I started to shift my weight going, you know what? You love me first, and you keep loving me first sudden things started to heal in me. Well, wow. And it says to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. And so anything that you read of my stuff that I write, always, there's two things you're going to find is fighting and contending for the promise because we have to contend for some of the things God has promised us and living out of the love of God. And I think you need reminders daily. Uh, scripture says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And that word know is an intimate experiential knowing. I mean, more intimate than physical intercourse. That's how Mm -hmm. that word translates. So we know and rely on the love of God. And Lena, I just think we strive and jump and strive and jump and try so hard to dig our own little wells. And then we exhaust ourselves. And we think God's as disappointed with us as we are. But he's never surprised by us. He's never disillusioned by us. He knew who he was getting when he got us. And uh, I, I, I talked to a brain science expert, Dr. Timothy Jennings. He said, if we spent 15 minutes a day 15 minutes a day pondering God's love for us he said it would change our brain structure change our physiology and change our perspective I just think we that would be great homework for every one of us that's incredible yeah I mean I don't think most of us would last that long
0: (laughs) 15 minutes sounds like a long time thinking about but you know what I mean like it's just seems like a discipline but it would change our lives I would even I would challenge listeners to do it five minutes a day where you just set a set a timer and think about God's love, why is it that it seems like God loves everybody else better than he loves me? like that idea that notion we
1: know ourselves so well, you know we're a pile of contradictions, and that's we know ourselves so well and um but what I love I, it was Graham Cook who said God is not disillusioned with you. he never had any illusions about you in the first place right, It's good <laughs> I love that so much um. But I've been my own worst critic and my own worst enemy. And I do think it takes a discipline of thought to go, even if this doesn't feel true, God says it is true. So I'm going to know and rely, know and rely, Mm -hmm. know and rely on this love. Because Lena, you can't impart what you don't possess. So if you think that applies to everybody but you, there will be limits to your love. There'll be limits to your grace because you can't impart what you don't possess. So it's something we need to contend for and lay hold of over and over again.
0: Yeah. What, um, how did you land into your career or your calling, I guess, but, you know, how did you start writing and doing radio? Tell us more about that path.
1: So here I am as a young mom with a numb face and, a uh, my head, the pressure in my head and, uh, the joint pain and the fatigue. I wish I could describe it to you. I was in my twenties. I felt like I was in the nineties and, you know, I came into marriage as a pretty new believer, but I had so much fire and so much passion and so many dreams And when I got sick and that medical debt turned us upside down and the disease turned me upside down, like I said, I felt like I'd lost my address. And I was new enough in the faith that I didn't understand what I had done to chase God away. And all my friends had health and they had their wealth. You know, they were building additions on their houses, taking vacations. And I... Crawled through the valley, <laughs> and when my face would go numb, it was like Satan himself would have me by the face and say, "Where's your God now?" And I, I didn't have an answer. I did because I didn't know, you know. And in the middle of that, as what often is the case when someone struggles in a long-term crisis, there'll be people who draw near and intercede, and the people who step back and judge because they're like Job's friends. They can't really bear it if you're it's, you obviously brought this on yourself somehow. <laughs> and I heard chatter on both sides, and it was killing me because I was. I still felt like God hadn't delivered me yet from my own spirit of fear and insecurity. So anything I heard negative about me and my struggle, I already agreed with Mm -hmm. anyway. So it was a dry and weary land for sure. But in that place, um, a woman from our church called and she said, I've heard all the chatter about you, both positive and negative. And she said, I needed to know for myself what your struggle is about. So she said, I took your case before the Lord into my prayer closet. Mm -hmm. And she said, Susie Larson, you listen to me. She said, God is building a platform with your pain. And she said, someday you're going to speak from it. So lean in and learn everything you can oh. because you're going to have to tell. I knew it was true. It was like in the midst of all the neurological wretched symptoms and the bill collectors calling with our medical debt. I it was like a truth bomb went into my soul and I rose up from that place. And I remember the Lord whispering to me, are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity? Are you actually a believer because you believe this stuff? Like, when are you going to shift your weight onto these promises to see if they hold? And so in the morning, every morning I wake up before this phone call day, I would look in the mirror to see if this was the day that my face fell because the Mm. doctor said I may end up with Bell's palsy because of all the neurological problems I was having. Imagine that for 20-something. So every morning I'd look, is this the day my face is going to fall, you know? Well, after that phone call, i get up in the morning, I'd look in that mirror, and i put my hand on my numb face, I would point to the mirror. And I would say, you will not die, but live and declare the works of Mm -hmm. the Lord. I would hold up my empty, pathetic checkbook. And I would say, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches, not mine. You know, the enemy would accuse me so bad with our three little boys because I literally crawled through the desert trying to parent them on such half strength, you know. But after that, I would put my hands on their little heads and say, you will be mighty in God someday. And I started to shift my weight. And it, something just happened. I literally got much worse before I got better. Mm-hmm. But as I started to emerge out of the ashes, you know, a church mom's group called and said, uh, will you come and share how you're keeping the faith during such a battle? And I was so sick, I actually sat on a chair. I didn't stand up. And I had holes in my jeans before that was a cool thing because we were just poor. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but I didn't even think it was that great. But they loved it. And they told two friends. And a speaking ministry sort of evolved out of the ashes of that, that pain, And probably a couple years, two, three years later, I want to say, maybe several more years than that. But uh, I started to journal. That's quite a few years now I think about it. I started to journal and had a secret desire to write. And then uh, my hubby and I scraped some grocery money together and he sent me to a writer's conference. And uh, yeah, and I self-published my first book. It was a memoir. Really. And then eventually got published with Focus on the Family, started to freelance for them and then got my own book contracts and and went on from there. And then radio happened really in an amazing, beautiful way. Um, but that's another story I can tell if you want. Yeah, I do. It's
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I, um, you know, I worked in the fitness industry for 15 years and there's something that you do when you teach group fitness classes is you're executing one move while you're cueing the next, you know, you're giving the cue to where you're going while you're executing the current move. And I was in Chicago doing the Moody radio circuit for one of my books. And, um, I was in the studio with Nancy Turner, who I just love, that woman of God. And I was doing an in-studio interview with her, and I'm watching her talk to me and cue the producer. And I can't explain to you what happened, but my heart did a leap within me. like because I'm a total introvert, I don't do parties well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I like one on ones, and I'm not good with big crowds. and uh, and I love deeper life conversation, and I love to ask a lot of questions of other people's stories, you know, yeah. So when I watched her do that. Something quickened within me. And I said, Lord, if that's from you, grow that desire. Well, every time I do an in-studio interview as an author, my heart started to beat out of my chest. And it like took all my strength not to bump the host and sit in her spot and start asking some questions. So I'm like, oh, Lord, you've got Mm -hmm. to do something in me. You've got to take this desire away, or you've got to show me what you're up to. Well, at our local station, 14 years ago, I was in doing in-studio. As I was walking out, the producer chased me out. She said, you are a natural behind the mic. She said, would you ever... And I didn't even let her finish. I'm like, yes. Whatever you're gonna say, yes.
0: That's all. Even if you're gonna
1: ask me to lunch, I'll just say yes. But uh, they they uh, trained me in and I became a backup guest host. So I would fill in for four years. I did that. I filled in for whatever they needed a sub. And every time I did it, Lena, I loved it so much. I said, Lord, you either have to take this desire away, you gotta give me my own show. Mm -hmm. And then one day the door opened up and I stepped into it and it was like pulling fruit off of a vine. It was ready. And I mean I quietly died to myself. For four years, I just kept Whoa. waiting and trusting. And I refused to posture. I refused to grab myself because I saw yeah. so many people using people as a means to an end. And I'm I'm not doing that. I know God knows where I live. And if he started it, he's going to finish it. And it was just, it was a good dying to self process of just humbling myself and waiting on the Lord. And I'm telling you, Lena, that I feel like that kind of thing needs to make a comeback. And our young people today are so used to getting things quickly. Right. But When you step into something that you've waited on the Lord for, there is an anointing and a power that you're ready for. And, uh, that's what happened. I just stepped into it. Like I was always made for it and it took off and the show just took off. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's been 14 years. So, Well, I think that place, that
0: four years of waiting is such a place of tension. And you're right. That's where a lot of Christians give up on calling. And of course now, and I, whenever I speak, I hear a lot of younger women who are, you know, want to do the types of things I'm doing. And I'm looking at others and so I want to do what they're doing. And so there's constant tension of waiting for what you think God has for you. And what have you learned, like, are some simple ways to endure in that season as opposed to kind of tell yourself, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe that prophetic voice when I had Lyme's disease was just a woman who said something, you know, like the person who comes up to you after a talk. And I was like, I really feel God has anointed you to X, Y, Z. And then later you're like, was that just indigestion? Because nothing in your life lines up with the vision that you have or that that you feel God's given you. How do you encourage people to keep on keeping on in maybe not four years, but maybe somebody's listening and it's been 14 or 24 years of waiting on God?
1: Great question. I hope it's uh, my. I wrote a book on that called Your Beautiful Purpose, and it's all about the internal process of waiting on God's preparation process. And I've noticed three phases we tend to go through. The first phase is when the dream is far off, and that's when motivations are revealed. And so many people, and I'm not saying this, if you've been waiting 14 years, I'm not saying this is the case for you, but it is, can be the case for many. When in that time in between, when you suddenly start to ha- dare to have a dream, th- when the dream is far off, what happens is, all of our stuff starts to surface, our impatience, our comparison, our jealousy. Mm-hmm. And we start to notice people who are doing what we want to do, but they're further down the line and we compare and we think I could sing better than her. or I'm a better writer than her. Why am I not? where?" And the thing is, gifting isn't the only factor. Gifting may open the door, but character keeps it yeah. open. And so I say he makes you wait because he's making you ready. And that preparation time is God's fatherly loving protection over you because he wants to extract from your character the very things that the enemy will use against you when the time is right. If you don't let him deal with those embedded things that you don't even know are in there, when the time is right, because the enemy waits for the right time, he will use your weakness, leverage it against you and dismantle your influence. So if you could see it as God withholds no good thing from you, he wants to promote you. He wants to use you in ways that are above and beyond your wildest dreams. But we often prolong that process by getting offended with God. Yeah. And we kind of like put ourselves right back under the discipline of God. But if you can be humble and patient enough, nothing will stop God when the time is right. So that's that first phase, a dream far off where the motivations are revealed. You keep humbling yourself and being trainable and teachable. In due time, your toes will wiggle on the grass of that promised land. And that next phase is is uh, the dream up close, and that's where your fears are confronted, where before you're like, God, I'm ready. What are you waiting for? When you start to get close enough for your humanity to touch your dream, suddenly fear comes up, and you're like, you know, I was just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it. I'm, I'm not really ready, because you're thinking in your head, I could mess this up. I, you know, I, I, what was I thinking? I mean, I've heard, you know, major authors talk about they dreamt, dreamt about the day to get a writer's contract, a, a book contract, and then they do, and they get absolutely depressed. Because they're so afraid of failure before they ever start. Those are just common fears. Mm -hmm. So the dream up close is when the fears are confronted. And then when you're tempted to say, I'm not ready, this is when you you hear God saying, actually, you are ready. And those giants are going down. And then the third phase is the dream realized. And that's where your faith is strengthened. And as a fitness person, I can't help but make the analogy. But let's say you're someone who goes for a walk a few times a week. But you decide to take on a Mm 10K. So you start to put some real purpose in your training. You start to do some strength training, flexibility. You pick up the duration of your cardio and all those things, and you slowly increase the threshold. So your new norm, if you're training for a 10K or half marathon, you know, sprinting around the block is nothing. Doing a 5K, nothing because Mm -hmm. you've increased your threshold. Well, Lena, I mean, I imagine people watching you, you couldn't carry 10 years ago what you're carrying now Mm -hmm. because your training And your battles and your trials have all prepared you to stand in this place and people want the platform without the process and i just say that process is god's loving protection of you and when that dream is realized all of a sudden you realize you're undergirded by all of this experience that god is using to kind of give you some muscle density spiritual muscle density so that you not only stand there and fight there you win there and then you can move on from there and i'm super passionate about that process Because I've seen too many people short circuit it and they, and they really, to everybody's detriment, you know, um, it matters that we not only fulfill the call of God, but we last long and finish. Well,
0: I love that. And that's your beautiful purpose. The book that you were telling us about, of course, you've written so many books. It's hard to keep up with, with trying to go through all of them, but I've heard such awesome things also about your sacred. Yes. I've had friends who have read that, who have found it so freeing, um, What? Who has been one of the most influential Christians in your life? Whether it's an author or a teacher or um, person in your life that may be even lesser known.
1: Wow, that's a great somebody who shaped my thinking significantly. He's out of the public eye, and he wasn't even in the public eye that much when he was. But um, it's a pastor uh, named Francis Frangipane. Oh, I've heard of him. And. I have not read his books in years, Mm. but in my early years, when I walked through the storm, his theme was Christ-likeness, Mm. always Christ-likeness. And it just, when I was kind of going through the wine press, I just hung on so much of what he wrote. He very much shaped my formative years as a Christian and helped me really, um, I I just, I really can't stand the whole American Christian celebrity thing. Mm. I I despise it, actually. And uh, just because I think it's not a picture, you know, the heroes are the persecuted who are giving their lives for the sake of the kingdom. And we have a backwards upside down perspective when we make heroes out of people who just have big platforms. So I feel like I I'm driven enough and task oriented enough that if I wouldn't have gone through the breaking of with the health that I've gone through and then wouldn't have read those kinds of books on Christ likeness, I probably would have been that person striving because I, I can manage a lot. God's wired me to manage a lot, but I've been so broken um, of self-striving But I just, I want to be known for knowing him. I, you know, I just want people to know Jesus intimately and walk intimately with him and then dare to take the faith risks that he puts before them.
0: When you think of the person who's fully alive, is that, describe that person for us here briefly. Like what, what can they do that other people can't do? Is it just an emotional
1: state of mind? Oh my goodness. That is a great question. What I feel like the implications of us not letting God go to those healing places is significant because the world, we're becoming beside the point as Christians, and I'm convinced with all my heart that it's because we have all these unhealed areas and we're living in reaction to our stuff, and that's what the world sees. But the person who lives fully alive, they know so well the love of God. God has so gone into their story, untangled their fears, healed their wounds, put boldness in their heart that they can love people who think differently, vote differently, treat them differently. And they can say in their hearts and in their minds, everywhere I place my feet, God's kingdom comes to mm-hmm. earth. And I gotta tell you, one of the ways that I've seen that is, uh, if you remember the Coptic Christians who were beheaded on that mm-hmm. beach that mm-hmm. day, 21. There was one mother who lost two sons that day. I write about this in Fully Live. I just am so blown away by her, but she had such so much of the kingdom in her soul that when somebody interviewed her about that, she said, i tell you what, if the men who killed my sons came back to town, I would invite them to my house and feed them mm-hmm. dinner for one more chance to tell them about the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I think fully alive is overcoming By the word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, and they love not their life even Mm -hmm. unto death. Because how we live here affects how we live there. And when you get those three together, the power of the blood, the power of the word of your testimony, let me tell you what God has redeemed me from. And then you say, I don't need you to love me. I don't need you to understand me. I'm I'm taking that power away from you and giving it to God alone. And that way I can be and do everything God has given me to be and do. I'm telling you what, we would start to see Amen. a revival break out. Amen. What, um, do you have any big
0: regrets in your life or one biggest regret comes to mind? Wow, you're so good at <laughs> this.
1: Oh, my goodness. Every question is fantastic. I regret how long it took me to live out of the Father's love and to serve out of the assurance of his love. I strived for way too long. And uh, that's wasted time and energy. And, Lena, one of the things that gets me out of bed every day is that there's a day of account. For Christians, there's a day of account for unbelievers, and they go before a judgment seat, a great white throne, where they give account for their sins, and there will be hell to pay, and that's not a good day. For Christians, we go before the judgment seat, not to pay for our sins, Jesus paid for those, but we give account for what we did with our time, treasure, and talents. Scripture is very clear that there are some Christians will have nothing to show for their life. The Bible says, as barely escaping through the flames. And what gets me out of bed every day is to mobilize as many people to live, by faith, so that they steward their time, treasure, and talents by faith, hope, and love, because then those are the things Mm. that echo into eternity. I think my regret, Lena, is how many times I misused time, treasure, Mm. and talents really Mm. to try to prop myself up. That was, you don't help anybody. You may help a few, but you're not really, you're serving yourself, and it's based on a lie. Man, if I could go back and talk to my younger self and get that into my soul, I I imagine how different Mm. my life might have been. That's good. What's the favorite book you've ever written? Well, the rawest book I've ever written is fully alive. I emptied my pockets that's for awesome. this and because that's the newest last, one. That's great. Yeah, this this last relapse um was like a walk through health. And just uh, happened. You, were gen- there were, you just it, went through
0: some health issues not long yes. ago. Yeah,
1: about three years ago. And uh but one of the things when I was having a neurological fireworks in my bathroom and I'm like, God no, please no, please no. I'm at this age in my fifties, don't ask me to go through this again. And he whispered, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, well, what's the lie that I believe? And there was in my ear again from my childhood. I can get to you anytime, anywhere. And the Lord thundered in that bathroom that day. I just choke up thinking about it. He said, Susie, that's not true. We don't outrun lies. We turn around and we face them. It is not true that he could get to you anytime, anywhere. You don't know what I've prevented in your life. You don't even know what I've provided. And you know what? I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And that began the D-Day battle of fighting for freedom in my soul on a whole deeper level. And so, even though I love the different books that I've read, I feel like I'm getting the most testimonies of inner healing out of this one. It feels important to me, and it costs me a lot to be honest with you. Um, but it was well. Working. We want to give
0: away three copies of it, so uh, you all who are still listening—I uh, hope everybody is—because. I, this pod I feel like every podcast for me, this is so good. And anyway, I want to give three books away. Just first three people who email, email me very easy. Lena at living with org And, uh, I myself can't wait to finish it. I've just started it. And, um, Susie, you're awesome. What do you, what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? That is
1: it. A- I, I felt, sound like a broken record. I better stop telling
0: you. <laughs> I the dating game. I know,
1: I know. It's what single people do. They think yeah. of good questions. <laughs> I'm super impressed with you. I'm just saying that. You know, it is interesting you ask that because I feel like I'm coming around a bend and I'm on a need-to-know basis. So like he's saying, when you need to know, yes. I'll let you know. And we're actually going out to California for three days next week, or for a full week, but we're going to have three days of intense meeting doing something called Life Plan. And it's a consultant that looks at every aspect of your life to look at your life rhythm, your ministry call, your giftings, just to see, are, am I lining up with what God would have me do? And uh, so I, I, I'm I, waiting on the Lord. I, I want to be available for whatever he says. So I love radio. I come alive when I'm interviewing people. Love that so much. And uh, other than that, I'm going to see That's what he says. such
0: a great place to be. You are um, a great person to look up to, and I uh, I just love your heart and just your wisdom. So thank you for being on today.
1: Thank you for having me, and Lena, you're an amazing guest as well. So I consider myself blessed to call you a friend. Quick thing as we wrap up, how can we put people reach you? They, uh, I have a very active Facebook page. You just deeper life in Christ. You'll I do Facebook lives there, and we give things away there, and I put blessings every morning and evening there. And then my website is susielarsen.com. All right. And you're on you're on Twitter. I think you put in always such encouraging stuff. Uh and
0: I uh, it's it's all it always feels so positive, which is awesome in a Twitter world that can be dark. So if you're a Twitter fan, follow her on Twitter too. Anyway.
1: I'm on Instagram too, but to be honest, I don't know what I'm doing. So I would love for you to come and meet right. me there and tell me. All right, <laughs> I will
0: check it out. That's awesome. So we got a lot of ways to connect yeah. with Susie. Hey, if uh, Uh, You want to um, email Susie, take advantage of her website, shoot her an email. Otherwise, y'all know how to reach me, um, livingwithpower.org. Plenty of resources for you, uh, plenty of stuff for you to do if you're bored. And email me if you need prayer. I would love nothing more than to bring your requests before our Father who loves us so much. If you've heard anything in this podcast, it is that you are loved by God. Uh, That is the hope that we have. And so I will see you guys again next time. Have a great day.